Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. It's October 25th, 2019, and that means there's only two months left until Christmas. Today on the show, we'll learn about Christmas in Charles Dickens' time as we explore an old-fashioned Victorian Christmas. We've also got the top five scary Christmas movies with special guest Alonzo Duralde. Plus, we'll help you festive up your Facebook, give you some pre-Muppet Vember Henson news, and we'll finish off round two of The Road to the Christmas Bowl. Okay, let's start the show! Welcome, waiters! With Halloween just a few days away, we can officially say, Happy Holidays! Yeah, everybody else is still excited about Halloween, but the stores have Christmas stuff up, Hallmark and Lifetime are showing Christmas movies already, and Christmas Con is just a couple weeks away. I've already made my first completely unnecessary Christmas purchase. I was at the dollar store, and they had these pens with little bells in them. I love them. It adds a little festive noise whenever you write something down. However, it seems to be driving everyone around me absolutely bananas, so I don't get to use it as much as I like, which means I have to find another way to get a little Christmas in my life right this very second because I need a little Christmas now. We need a everybody's on Facebook. I mean, except for the kids who are all on the Snapshare or the Tiki Talk or whatever these crazy kids are doing these days. But us old timers are still on Facebook. And one of the cool things Facebook has is no predilections about using your personal data. No imaginary listener that sounds like Kermit the Frog. What they have is a multitude of Russian bots. No policies that make it so people look, this is not some expose where we blow the lid off Facebook. There are other people doing that kind of work. This is just a way to decorate your profile pictures for Christmas, just like you decorate your house or your desk at work. How? Well, if you'd stop interrupting me, I was getting to that. Facebook frames. They're images that you can overlay on top of your existing profile picture. Basically, you go to your profile picture and there's an option to add a frame. They have some popular frames that are already queued up for you to select, and they're usually whatever is the trending thing at the time. And the Christmas frames don't really start showing up in that popular section until well after Thanksgiving. But you can find them all year long. They have a little search thing. You just type in the word Christmas and a ton of Christmas frames show up. Wreaths, lights, snow. There's so many to choose from. But that's not all. If you take the time to search can't wait for Christmas, you'll find that I've put up several Christmas frames for you to use. There's ones that specifically mention the podcast, like, hey, I'm listening to Can't Wait for Christmas, or ones that are just general Christmas eye candy to add to your photo. But wait, there's still more. Really overhyping this, aren't you? Shh. Longtime listeners will know that every year I add new Christmas card designs into our official podcast store over at Zazzle.com slash Can't Wait for Christmas. They're photo cards where you can just upload your family photos, add your family name, and sometimes a year and poof, you got yourself some lovely photo cards to send out that will look great pinned up on your friends and family's walls and refrigerators. This year is no exception. In fact, I created a whole series of designs that I'm calling Christmas Kingdom. They each have distinctive themes, like one is a festive town square right next to a railroad station. One has got the the look of the old west one looks like your pictures are inside a book of fairy tales 
perhaps you see where I'm going with this. Some of the other themes are New Orleans, woodland creatures, jungle animals, wacky cartoons, and even Christmas in outer space. I dare say these might be the merriest cards on Earth. Wait, weren't you just talking about Facebook frames? How did we get lost in Christmas cards? That's a cool thing. A lot of the frames I've made match the cards in our store, including most of the new Christmas Kingdom series. So you can actually make your Facebook profile picture match your Christmas cards if you want. I put a link in the show notes to all the cards in the Can't Wait for Christmas Zazzle store, but unfortunately, I wasn't able to find a way to link to the Facebook frame, so you'll just have to go to your own Facebook page, click on your profile picture, click Add a Frame, and then search for Can't Wait for Christmas. And if you add one of our frames to your profile picture, be sure and leave a comment at our Facebook page, Can't Wait for Christmas Pod. Speaking of things I can't wait for, Christmas Con is coming up fast, and I can't wait to be a part of the podcast panel. It'll be myself, Brian Earl from Christmas Past, Brand Panda and Dan from Deck the Hallmark, and shortly before I began recording this, they've added Jax and Shaw from Hallmark's Bubbly Sesh podcast. The panel will be moderated by Alonzo Duralde. Alonzo is the co-host of the Linoleum Knife podcast, the film reviews editor at The Wrap, and the author of Have a Movie Little Christmas. I've actually been looking for an excuse to get Alonzo on the show for a while now because I want to pick his big movie brain about Christmas movies. And the fact that he'll be moderating the Christmas con panel in a couple of weeks gave me the perfect reason to have him on our October show. But I also had an ulterior motive. You see, I've been meaning to do a countdown feature on Christmas horror movies on this show for a while now. But there's only one problem. I am a total horror movie wuss. I get scared super easily, and I really don't like being scared. So I tend to avoid horror movies. The only horror movie I really, really enjoyed was Happy Death Day. And sadly, that flick has nothing to do with Christmas. But Alonzo is a genuine movie critic who not only has a deep knowledge and appreciation for Christmas movies, but for cinema in general. So I thought, maybe I could have him talk about horror movies. And, luckily enough, he said yes. Now, I do want to warn you, I am going to play clips from the trailers as he talks about these horror movies. So, I know there are some younger kids who listen to this, and there's nothing super duper scary about these clips but if you have sensitive youngsters at home that you don't want to hear horror movies you might want to skip ahead to the next segment but for everybody else i'm gonna hide my eyes behind my hands and leave you in alonzo's capable hands for today's five golden things thanks tim Hi, everybody. It's Alonzo Duraldi. I'm the author of Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas, and it's October, so what better time to give you five golden Christmas horror movies? Number five. Christmas Evil from 1980. This Christmas, Santa's <laughs> going to make everyone happy. The grown-ups. And the kids. Christmas Evil. And this Christmas... You better believe in Santa, or he'll slay you. Merry Christmas, Greg. Christmas Evil, the night he dropped in. It's John Waters' favorite Christmas movie, and who am I to argue... Uh, this is a twisted little tale of a guy who spends his life being obsessed with Santa Claus to the extent that he uh, works in a toy factory and spies on the neighborhood kids to see who's naughty and who's nice. 
And then one day he snaps and, um, well, you just have to kind of see it for yourself. Uh, I can't begin to describe it, but it's nutty, it's bloody, and it stars Brandon Taggart, uh, who is a Tony winner for the Broadway musical Applause, but also the father of singer Fiona Apple, Christmas Evil. This movie is also known as You Better Watch Out, so make sure you don't confuse it with the next movie in the countdown. Number four. A recent entry in the holiday horror canon, 2016's Better Watch Out. Want to put her in the mood? Watch a horror movie. Dude, she's like twice our age. I really don't think it's going to happen. She's here. You are breathtaking. <laughs> Thank you. Now don't stay up and watch scary movies, okay? It'll give you nightmares again. So what do you want to do? Santa is Ricky, why can't you just leave me alone? He's such a jerk. Don't hang up on me. Tis the season for you What are you doing, man? Please let me out of this. You're home alone again? That's awesome. Better watch out. Flips the Home Alone formula on its head and asks the question. What if Kevin McAllister were a sadistic little perv? Uh, Levi Miller stars as Luke. Uh, he is being babysat by Olivia de Jong on Christmas Eve night. Uh, there seem to be intruders coming from the outside, and uh, his attempts to defend the house uh, show a very, very dark side to his personality. Uh, this is a movie that will keep you guessing. Even if you see the trailer for the movie first, you'll be surprised at the twists and turns along the way. Um, this one's a lot of fun. Number three. In 2010's Rare Exports, a group of American oil people accidentally dig up the secret tomb of Santa Claus, and he is not happy to have his final resting place be violated. We found something else than just plain rocks and dirt. This mountain is like a giant icebox. For storing what? Drill deeper. Bear the dynamite. You have grave to rob. We have Santa Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. And he doesn't give up. Uh, this one is uh, pretty scary, probably not for the kids, but definitely has a great Christmas spirit permeating throughout, even when people are running and screaming for their lives. Number two. Well, I couldn't not include Joe Dante's Gremlins. Steven Spielberg presents Gremlins. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight. Look, I know it sounds crazy, I know, but in a few hours, you're gonna have a major disaster on your hands. Gremlins, directed by Joe Dante. They'll be expecting you. 
This is basically uh, the director said that he wanted to have a, a monster movie that unfolds inside of It's a Wonderful Life. And so you do have the perfect, uh, idyllic, snowy, small town and Christmas carolers and all the holiday goodies you want. You also have uh, these horrible green scaly id creatures running around wreaking havoc and destroying things. Um, this is one of the movies that created the PG-13 rating. If you are a parent wondering whether or not your youngest should be watching this one. Um, but it is a perfect combination of holiday goodness, uh, scary stuff and laughs. Honorable mentions. There are more movies in this category than you might imagine. Uh, and for starters, th- I'm not including Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas because while it's a very cool movie and it deals with Halloween and Christmas a lot, I just don't think it's very scary. It's a movie about the idea of being scary, but I never find it frightening. So I don't know. I know for a lot of people, this is their go-to, so I get it. Not a problem. Uh, also wanted to recommend, if you are a fan of the slasher movie, Silent Night, Deadly Night, uh, and its many sequels. They're a little on the hacky side, but they do an interesting job of integrating Santa Claus into uh, the usual uh, hack and slash motif here. I'm also a fan of Whoever Slew Auntie Rue, starring uh, Shelley Winters. It's kind of an updating of the Hansel and Gretel tale that's set during Christmas. And then finally, uh, one of the greatest films ever made, Night of the Hunter. It's really only Christmassy at the end, but it is terrifying. This is the movie where Robert Mitchum has love and hate tattooed on his fingers. And um, yeah, if you've never seen it, you're missing out on a great one. Number one. At number one is Black Christmas from 1974, directed by Bob Clark, who years later would go on to make a very different holiday movie, A Christmas Story. Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, Carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, It's on too tight. This is one of those movies that kind of created the slasher movie well before John Carpenter's Halloween. It's the story of sorority girls who are being terrorized by obscene phone calls in their house right before Christmas vacation. It features some great performances by Olivia Hussey, the late Margot Kidder, and Andrea Martin. And uh, it's a film that has become so iconic that it's been remade twice. The new one is opening this December. uh, And uh, I hope it's it's as fun and as scary as the original Black Christmas a very atmospheric and very creepy holiday movie and my number one holiday horror film. Merry Christmas and happy Halloween, everybody. Is it is it safe to come out now? It is? Okay, great. Thank you so much, Alonzo, for helping us out today. If you'd like to hear more Alonzo, and why wouldn't you, I put a link to his film podcast, Linoleum Knife, in the show notes of this episode. And now, let's hear from the greatest gift this podcast ever had, listeners like you, as we open Santa Bab's Mailbag. Santa Bab, he is gonna read some emails from you, or tweets, or Facebook messages to Santa Bab, he is opening up his mailbag tonight. This first letter really warmed my heart. It was an email I got from Sarah, who writes, Dear Tim, I want to send you an email to thank you for your Christmas podcast. I love Christmas. In fact, it's one of my main coping mechanisms when I'm not doing so well. 
I am currently not doing so well, emotionally and mentally speaking, because of some family problems I won't go into here. This leads, amongst other things, to a level of social anxiety, which makes going to the grocery store and other errands quite hard sometimes. I discovered your podcast a while ago through the Christmas subreddit, and I'm still listening through the backlog of all your episodes. Listening to you talk about all kind of Christmas stuff while I walk to the grocery store helps me tremendously not to feel anxious, and I actually feel happy. I just want to send you a thank you for that. It's good to know that people on the other side of the world love Christmas as much as I do. If you read this email on your show, I will probably hear it a little late, since I am currently only caught up to the December episode of 2017. With kind regards, Sarah from the Netherlands. Well, Sarah from the Netherlands, whenever you hear this, thank you so much for sharing this with me. I obviously didn't know that this show could be helpful in that way when I had the idea about it a while back. I just wanted to yammer about Christmas every month. But I'm so happy that it's helped you. Thoughts of Christmas definitely helped me brighten my mood, so I'm glad I could help share that with others, even if it's only once a month. Oh, and if you're on the way to the store while listening to this, don't forget to buy garlic bread. Maybe garlic bread wasn't on your list, but have you ever regretted getting some garlic bread? Of course not. Trust Uncle Tim on this one. Garlic bread. Oh, and whoever posted about this show on Reddit so Sarah could find it, thank you. I really appreciate when people spread the word about this jolly little podcast. So thank you for Redditing. I don't know. How, what do you kids do with your, with your Reddits and your clickety bops? Anyway, thank you for doing it. Next up in the mailbag is a programming suggestion from Amy, who writes, Hi, Tim. Please bring back your Mariah Carey version of All I Want for Christmas is News. It's my favorite. While listening every month... Getting to that segment, I always hope for that version. The other version is fine, but I love the Mariah Carey one so much more. Maybe you can alternate every other month between the two? Maybe do the Mariah Carey version all next year, since she'll be 50 in March. You'll be happy to know, at my work, I have a Countdown to Christmas sign hanging up all year long. Some coworkers love it, and others, maybe not so much. LOL. Anyway, keep up this awesome podcast. I love Christmas. Amy. Well, Amy, you should tell those coworkers that don't like your sign... They should be grateful you don't have a jingle pen. But in regard to All I Want for Christmas is News, that's the second time we've had a request to bring back the Mariah Carey-ish version of the intro song. So, as the saying goes, give the people what they want. Which leads us to our next segment, All I Want for Christmas is News. All I Want for Christmas So, if you liked our Facebook page, you already saw this, but there's a reboot of the Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas in the work. According to Variety, Brett McKenzie, best known from Flight of the Concords, has been tapped to write the script and the music for a new version of the special. Now, they're calling it an adaptation of the Jim Henson TV special, but wouldn't it just be a different adaptation of the Russell Hoban book? Well, regardless, if Jim Henson Studios is going to be involved, it's good that they got McKenzie, since he was the music supervisor on The Muppets and The Muppets Most Wanted. Now, despite the fact this project is being produced by Jim Henson Company, this won't be a Muppet movie. You see, the name Muppets and the characters got sold to Disney back in 2005, but the Jim Henson Company is still a separate entity. So, they don't know which studio is going to distribute this new Emmett Otter yet. But I actually hope it is Disney, so that Kermit can still do his intro and outro to the story. We'll keep an eye on this story, because we're sure to cover this remake or new adaptation in a future Muppet Vember episode. And now it's time for a word from an actual sponsor. You mean a word from the Christmas Podcast Network? 
No, no, no. We're still a part of the Christmas Podcast Network, and you should definitely go to christmaspodcastnetwork.com and check out all the great Christmas podcasts we got on there. But we've got an actual sponsor this time. The devil, you say? Are you getting big time on us? (laughs) Not really. But I mentioned our official podcast store early in the show. It's hosted by Zazzle.com. That's Z-A-Z-Z-L-E. I I picked that site to host our official store just because it was so easy to make designs and put them on a plethora of different products. Yeah, I use the word plethora. That's how many products they got. But what's cool about Zazzle is they don't just host the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast store. They've also got all sorts of other brands that you can grab from like Disney, Marvel, Sesame Street, Dr. Seuss, and they just got a bunch of new Star Wars stuff. And what's cool about it is it's not like just some thing where you go to a store and buy some shirt that like a dozen other people have. You can customize it and make it personal for you. So you can create it just how you want it. Like, for instance, when my son had his birthday last year, he decided he wanted to have an Incredibles theme for his party. So we went and grabbed some Incredibles shirts from Zazzle.com and we actually put on the back the Incredibabs. So we all had matching shirts with our own personalized name on it, and my son loves it. He still wears it to this day. But it's not just shirts. You could do all sorts of stuff on Zazzle. You could do like wedding planning with save the dates, and you could do party planning with invitations. And with the holidays coming up, it's a great way to get personalized gifts to the ones you love. Now, Zazzle didn't actually pay me any money to talk to you about this, but what I did get them to do is something for you. I got them to give us a code so that you can go to the Zazzle site and you can get 20% off, not just off the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast store, but anything on their site. So you're probably wondering what that code is. And that code is ChristmasPod. It'll be easy to remember because it's also the same as our Twitter handle. So visit Zazzle.com slash ChristmasPod now to start creating and receive 20% off site-wide now through December 31st. Go to Zazzle.com slash ChristmasPod for 20% off site-wide. Where, where am I supposed to go again? Zazzle.com slash ChristmasPod. You don't understand sarcasm, do you? Would you get out of here? It's time for our feature segment. So, as I've mentioned the past few episodes, I will be joining fellow Christmas Podcast Network host Brian Earle for a live taping of Christmas Past on Sunday, November 24th at the Great Dickens Fair at Daly City, California. Now, I don't know if you listen to Brian's show, and if you don't, you should. That guy knows his stuff. He does deep dives, interviews knowledgeable people. He is the real deal. So, if I'm going to be sharing a mic with him at the end of November at the Dickens Fair, I don't want to look like an idiot. So, since this will be my last episode between now and then, I'm diving deep into Christmas and Dickens' time and learning what is so special about a Victorian Christmas. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. First off, I have to dispel a popular myth. It's commonly believed that Charles Dickens invented our modern Christmas. There was even a movie out last year about Charles Dickens writing a Christmas carol, and it was called The Man Who Invented Christmas. I, in fact, I might have even been guilty of this back when we did our episode on A Christmas Carol a few years back. But this really isn't the case. Dickens no more invented Christmas than Columbus discovered America. Christmas and America were always there. What Dickens and Columbus did was help bring them to the attention of the wealthy and the upper classes of Europe. Now, this isn't some sort of hit piece on Dickens. He's obviously a phenomenal author, and he certainly had a tremendous impact on the celebration of Christmas. It's just that he didn't come up with the concepts out of whole cloth. Perhaps a better analogy would be the person who comes to mind when I say moonwalk. Unless you're a big Neil Armstrong fan, you're thinking of Michael Jackson. But Michael Jackson didn't invent the moonwalk. 
Kids, especially poor kids, had been doing it for years. But when Jackson performed the move on the Motown 25 TV special, he was able to present it to the world in the perfect way so that he became synonymous with the move just as the move became super popular. And a lot of things went into that. The rise of the music video format, the diverse audience of that particular special, and Jackson's gift for dance. It was a perfect storm that propelled Jackson from successful musician to the pop icon he would become. You can kind of say the same about Charles Dickens and A Christmas Carol. So many things came together to make Christmas Carol as successful as it was and for it to have the impact on Christmas that it did. Basically, Dickens became an amplifier to the rising popularity of the Victorian Christmas. A Christmas Carol was such a big hit and it encompass so many of the things that people were starting to rediscover and re-enjoy about Christmas that they became intertwined. And looking back on it, some people think that Dickens invented those things where he really just was celebrating them. See, the main reason people think he invented Christmas is based on a bit of incomplete information. People say that Christmas had fallen out of favor in the early 19th century. Some go so far as to say it was on the verge of being forgotten. And in fairness, Christmas definitely had a rough go of it. The celebration was banned for a time in England. You see, the celebration of Christmas in medieval times... Oh, uh actual medieval times, not the dinner show thing called medieval times. Anyway, it was a raucous communal celebration, very much in line with today's Mardi Gras or St. Patrick's Day. But that didn't sit too well with the church folk who felt that was definitely too undignified a display to commemorate the birth of Jesus. So they clamped down on celebrations of Christmas, but that only stopped the public celebrations. Like these things used to happen in great halls and be hosted by, you know, the well-to-do, and and everybody would get together, the the rich and the poor alike, and they would celebrate Christmas for this one day. But once it fell out of favor, it didn't go away completely. People just turned their celebrations into private affairs. The party kept going just away from public view. It lost the communal element and became more of a family affair. And then, of course, the well-to-do were no longer involved because it's not like they were going to go seek out these, you know, poor people who are celebrating this what's considered a crass version of the holiday. So I guess in the upper crust, you could say, the holiday had indeed fallen out of favor. But then we get to the Industrial Revolution and Victorian times. And now the higher place members of society are looking back on olden times with rose-colored glasses, and slowly but surely... Christmas jingles its way back into the hearts and minds of the upper class, and that's when Charles Dickens, already a very celebrated and successful author at this point, publishes A Christmas Carol and shows the world a holiday about family, about merriment, about joy, and above all, about charity and giving. It's that rebranding of the holiday and retextualizing of the traditions that struck a chord with readers and how Dickens became intertwined with the Victorian Christmas. And to be fair, Dickens did influence aspects of the celebration, starting with the namesake of Dickens' book, Christmas Carols. Although carols and caroling had been around since at least the Middle Ages, in the early part of the 19th century, it became fashionable to compile these carols from various backgrounds and bring them into a church setting sometimes writing new lyrics to old tunes just to make them about Christmas. But here's where we can give Dickens some credit, because carols used to be about anything. But after A Christmas Carol, carols became almost exclusively associated with Christmas. I mean, really, despite how popular other holidays are, there are no Halloween carols, no Independence Day carols. I mean, there are songs we sing on those days, like Monster Mash or God Bless America, respectively, but we don't call them carols, because thanks to Dickens's branding, carols will forever be a Christmas thing now. Another thing Dickens highlights in the story is making merry at Christmas, specifically playing parlor games. This was the way the Victorians had spun the traditions of old Christmas into something a little more family-friendly. 
There were some that we still play today, like charades or dictionary. And that's where people try to pick the correct definition of an obscure word found in the dictionary, which is essentially just a do-it-yourself precursor to the game Balderdash. But then there's some games we don't play at all anymore, like Blind Man's Bluff, where one person is blindfolded and has to chase others around the room. When they catch somebody, they have to guess who they caught. I guess they didn't have as many breakable things in Victorian times, because I can't see that game ending in any other way than with hurt shins and broken appliances. I just, uh, 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 it gives me agitated thinking about it. Then there's my favorite Victorian parlor game that they used to play at Christmas, Ball of Wool. You may have seen this if you watched the show The Big Bang Theory. Okay, let's get this Victorian party started. I've done some research about some traditional parlor games we can play. Like what? Well, there's a fun one called Ball of Wool. (laughs) You take a ball of wool and you put it right in the center of the table. Then people sit on opposite sides of the table and try to blow the wool off. (laughs) Sorry, she's taken two. doesn't feel like it, does it? What I love about this game is the reason it was supposedly played. From what I read, it was quite the scandalous game because you would be across the table from a member of the opposite sex and you would watch them put their lips together and blow the ball of wool, but it looked to you like they were puckering up for a kiss. I just think it's adorable that just puckering your lips to blow would excite them so much. Oh, Victorians, you're the best. One thing we definitely cannot give Dickens credit for is the Christmas tree, but it still belongs in this discussion of the Victorian Christmas era. While the idea of bringing an evergreen tree indoors during the winter celebration goes back well before Victorian times, it was when Prince Albert brought his tradition from Germany to England that really kicked it up a notch. When the public saw photos of Queen Victoria, Prince Albert, and their family in front of their lavishly decorated Christmas tree, the idea really caught on in both England and later in America. Another sign of the Christmas tide that was rising in Dickens' time was that very same year that A Christmas Carol was published, 1843, also happened to be the same year the Christmas card debuted. I went into a bit of detail about the first Christmas card back in episode 28, so I won't retell the same story, but suffice to say, they were a huge hit as well. One thing Dickens definitely helped bolster was the Christmas feast. He lovingly described food several times in the book. When Scrooge first meets the ghost of Christmas present, we find him sitting on a sumptuous banquet of, and I quote, turkeys, geese, game, poultry, brawn, great joints of meat, sucking pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, immense twelfth cakes, and seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. And that's just one of the many times Dickens speaks of food in the novel. A Christmas Carol is full of food, including the famous turkey at the end. But... Apparently, turkey was not that common in a Victorian Christmas. The most wealthy Victorians would actually have beef for Christmas dinner. The upper class, who could find and afford it, would have turkey. But the vast majority of people would dine on goose, just as Bob Cratchit does in the story. And that goose was enjoyed to the fullest. It was one of the largest meals poorer families would eat all year. We actually get to hear Bob Cratchit be quite complimentary of that meal. Perhaps overly so, according to Scrooge himself, Sir Patrick Stewart. When they're, they're, 
They first started to eat the goose. Bob Cratchit said it was the greatest success achieved by Mrs. Cratchit since their marriage. Well, now in the 21st century, of course, that is an appalling, horrifyingly sexist thing to say. The best thing she ever achieved was cooking this goose. But when they sit around the hearth and they've thrown the chestnuts on the fire and Bob pours out into um, uh, what he said, the family display of glass, two tumblers and a custard cup without a handle. But they held the hot liquid in the jug as well as golden goblets would have done and Bob poured it out with beaming looks. It's, it's you know, a sense of warmth just floods through that scene. And um, it's very infectious. And that is a pretty good segue to lead us into what I think is perhaps the greatest contribution that Dickens and the Victorian era brought to the Christmas season, making the focus on giving and charity. As much as A Christmas Carol highlights the festivities and the celebrations of Christmas, the heart of the story is about how important it is to give. The poor and the working class of Dickens' day had a hard lives, and Dickens saw A Christmas Carol as a way to implore people to reach out and help them. He saw Christmas as the perfect time to do that. In medieval celebrations of Christmas, the master and the slave would trade places, and the master would serve the slave for a day. Now, while Dickens wasn't advocating a return to that, he was certainly showing that the more fortunate should take the opportunity of Christmas to give to those that were not as fortunate. And that is a sentiment that is synonymous with Christmas to this day. And even if Dickens didn't actually invent Christmas, having a hand in bringing charity to the forefront of Christmas is certainly a worthy legacy. Right up there with the moonwalk. <laughs> and it was always said that he knew how to keep Christmas well, if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. And after researching all that, I think that should help me have some background knowledge so that I don't make a fool of myself in front of Brian at the Dickens Fair. But if I left anything out of the Victorian Dickensian Christmas that you think I should have covered, please feel free to email me at christmas at tancast.com or you could always come see me and Brian at the Dickens Fair. But before that, we have some unfinished business with our year-long food fight. It's time to start the last bout of the semifinal round on the road to the Christmas Bowl! All year, we're going to have two different Christmas dishes compete each month for your votes until we decide what is the ultimate Christmas food. Last time, it was a side dish smackdown as green bean casserole took on mashed potatoes. And ironically, it was the green beans that got mashed in this food fight because with 83% of your votes, mashed potatoes is moving on to the finals. And now it's time to figure out who our last finalist will be. Let's meet our contestants. In the green corner, it's the main course, the centerpiece of Christmas dinner, the bird that is the word, the thing with the wings, the keeper of the dark meat and the white meat, hot out of the oven and into the semifinals, it's turkey! In the red corner, it's the Cinderella story of a drink that has defied the odds. No one expected this upstart little beverage to upset the mighty eggnog in round one, but here it is, taking on the titan of Christmas dinner. It's the smooth, chocolatey challenger, Hot Cocoa! And now 
it's up to you to pick the winner. The poll is open now at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. You can vote once a day, every day, until the polls close on November 23rd. Then we'll announce the winner on our November 25th show and see which one of these will continue on the road to the Christmas Bowl. And that is our show. I want to thank Alonzo Duralde again for helping us out on this episode and watching those Christmas horror movies so I don't have to. Again, you can find a link to his film podcast, Linoleum Knife, as well as a link to get his book, Have a Movie Little Christmas, in the show notes of this episode at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. Okay, I'm going to start packing for ChristmasCon. And one thing I'm definitely going to be packing is my phone because I will be doing as many Facebook Live broadcasts from ChristmasCon as I possibly can. So be sure to like our official Facebook page if you haven't already so you don't miss any of those videos. And while you're in Facebook, check out those Can't Wait for Christmas profile picture frames. In fact, there might be a contest involving those frames in next month's episode where you could win a prize. Ho, ho, ho. Also, if you're in the Bay Area November 24th, come join us for the live taping of Brian Earl's Christmas Past with special guest, me! Spoiler alert, there might just be some prizes you could win there as well. Again, more information about that is on the official website, so I hope to see you all at the Cow Palace. Yeesh! With Christmas Con in New Jersey at the beginning of November and the Dickens Fair just south of San Francisco at the end of November, it's gonna be Christmas coast to coast for this guy! And I only get invited to these cool things because of folks like you who listen to this show. So thank you so much for listening. See you at Christmas Con and or the Dickens Fair. And in the meantime, keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2019. Uh, ho, ho, ho. Thank you for listening to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on iTunes, or we're available on Stitcher and Google Play as well. If you'd like to leave a comment on this or any episode, go to our official website at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store, where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, bumper stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas merchandise all year long. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash can't wait for Christmas pod. Or on Twitter, we are at Christmas pod. Or you could always send us an email directly at Christmas at tancast.com. The Can't Wait for Christmas podcast is part of the Tancast Podcast Network. We wish you a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band. And this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the Accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Kristen Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, all right. The Oct- recording the October show is always a little weird because I uh, walk into the Christmas cave, but in to do that, I always pass the Halloween decorations on the way in to record a Christmas podcast. Weird. Only for me, because I'm the only one who sees that part. And if you add one, and if you add one of our frames to your profile picture, be sure and leave a comment on our official Facebook page. That's uh, Christmas Pod. Can't wait for Christmas Pod. What is our Facebook page? I don't know. Tim has to look up his own Facebook page because he doesn't know it. Ba da ba bow. Skibbity bop ba da be rip. 
The only horror movie I really, really enjoyed was Happy Death Day. And sadly, that flick has nothing to do with Christmas. It's still awesome, though. Go see it. Hi, Tim. Please bring... Hi, Tim. Hey, Tim. Hi, Tim. How's it going, Tim? Hey, Tim. Can you read the rest of this email? Doesn't look like it. I keep stumbling and bumbling. Well, do your best. I'll see what I can do. But in regards to the... But in regards to the Mariah Carey... (laughs) But in regard to the... But in regards to the All I Want for Christmas is new jingle... Oh, no. What is happening right now? I, there's one part I didn't write down, and that's the part I keep messing up. Because I, I guess I, I, I have to read this one part, even though I do this all the time. Like, I write the script, and then I'll just, I'll be like, I'll, I'll sort of read what it says, but then I'll add things in between, like on the fly. But for some reason, I can't add the phrase, all I want for Christmas is news, if it's not written down. What is wrong with me? Which leads us to our next segment, All I Want for Christmas. <coughs> Holy moly, la la bula chamabucha. How long did I record for? Almost an hour. I almost recorded for an hour. When you listen to how long this episode is, you can see how much flubbing and blubbing I did when you realize I recorded for an hour. Because I know this episode ain't an hour long. Mm-hmm. Girl. Hmm.